Well, that was an excellent conversation. I just finished a long episode of the Luminous Arts podcast with Timo Lejeune, a light artist based out of the Netherlands. His group, Luminous Instruments, combines light and music in integrated performances using a custom software stack that he's creating. One part sculptural lighting artist, one part music producer, he's creating a really unique installation that synchronizes the lighting and the music by creating both from the same software. The main outlet for his work is the art festival scene in Europe. We have a great time talking about our experiences with festival culture and how light art is represented in that world, and the various ways to make your way as a light artist. Team is a super cool guy. I'm looking forward to hanging out in person. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed creating it. Where are you in the Netherlands? Uh, Eindhoven. It's, um, in Andover? Andover, yeah. It's, do you know Phillips? No. Well, Phillips Hugh? Like Phillips yeah, yeah, exactly. Phillips, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they originated in Andover. So actually like the really? whole, yeah, yeah. So the whole city is just like Phillips everywhere. <laughs> That's so funny, man, because I, I always pictured Phillips being like some mega company that came out of like the Midwest United States or something. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It's just, I think it's because I've always known them as uh, like the mega conglomerate that owns the blue LED. Yeah. <laughs> or right. Like the, the, the intellectual property behind the blue LED. Yeah, 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 no, no, it's no, it's um, from Eindhoven. It's a guy called Fritz Philips, and he invented, or he mass-produced the light bulb, uh, and that's where it started. So actually, like two hundred meters from where I live is where the synthesizer was invented, and uh, and the cassette recorder. And I live in an old Philips lighting um, building, and yeah, it's just everywhere around here. That's cool, man. Well, yeah. I, I go way out of my way not to use Philips equipment just because it's so proprietary. Don't tell them that. No, <laughs> but, uh, no it's, it's not. It's not that I love Philips that much. I mean, they also stepped out of this whole uh, entertainment lighting and lighting, like they they renamed it to Signify. I don't know if you know that. Uh uh-uh. So actually, yeah. now you have Philips Healthcare and everything. So it's the whole healthcare, toothbrushes, uh, shaving machines, that kind of stuff. And then you have Philips Lighting, which is uh, rebranded to Signify. And they want to wow. step out of that a little bit. When did that point. happen? Because I didn't even I I didn't know that they had uh, they had they had spun off their lighting division. Yeah, it's it's last year or something. They did they, they, they didn't they didn't spin it off. It's just especially the entertainment corner from Philips is just like, they don't really care anymore. Uh, So there's, there's a couple of, they just shoved it off to some other guys in the States, I think. And um, yeah, that's like, well, that whole industry is hurting right now. No one's doing anything in entertainment. No, unless it's virtual, unless it's like a zoom hangout dance party. (laughs) Yeah. And I I don't know if you know, uh, Miles, Miles de Bastion, I don't know if I uh, pronounced it correctly, but he posted this thing a couple of days ago about, um, uh, yeah, so what's going to be the future? Well, what, what do we have to do now? You know, do we have to uh, go towards a matrix future and give like uh, digital uh, digital house parties and everything? And it's just... Oh man, we're there already. Like we are fully in the matrix. This past <laughs> month, man, I've, I've gone to so many virtual events. Yeah, like, I don't know. from what I from what I've learned, virtual dance parties do not work very well, but virtual hangouts work great. Like, yeah. I love just sitting around in the chat room, shooting the shit with friends. Yeah. Dance parties, they feel a little contrived. 
yeah not, not so much digging on that but like you know one of the more one of the biggest and more innovative festivals here in the netherlands is called digital uh they did like a bigger um virtual or digital yeah they called it digital digital uh festival a couple of couple of weeks ago and it's just like they hyped it a lot and everybody was like yeah okay so now we're going to tune in to digital and listen to all the live streams and everything but then when you sit there it's just like you know well, it's in the end of the day you're still sitting on your couch exactly <laughs> yeah. at a you get you can get drunk as fuck or you can pull it, yeah just take every, whatever you want but it's still just not the same and yeah it's not the same man. it's like virtual reality when they were pumping that as like a you know there was like the, the a lot of hype in the early days of vr when people were like oh this is gonna you know we're gonna have like virtual festivals and people are just gonna put on their headsets and you know s s like attend these things virtually yeah it's like well it's so abstracted from you know we're, we're social animals like we exactly. need to be like a around people you can't you can't synthesize that not yet no, at least no that's that's exactly the point that i was trying to make to miles is like we have this working model you know we have this 100 percent authentic working model which is real life so yeah why go to all <laughs> of the effort and to like this whole one on one and a half meter economy is just okay for now for a couple of weeks maybe for a couple of months it's fine but when you do that to generations of people it will just it it will destroy them you know it it's, yeah. it just affects your happiness so much when you're not able to touch people when you're not a able to um yeah come close to people and well it's, it's a really interesting social experiment like th this yeah. whole um the, the 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 virus and the crisis and everything it's it, it's funny because you know people people innately respond to to like like drastic changes and, and fear right we're programmed to do that and I, yeah. I feel like you know for for a few months we're all really good at you know adhering to these things joining together as a community and, and responding cohesively in order to, to to stamp out the danger you know what I mean but just like anything eventually it will become um, will become accustomed to it right yeah. and I think that at a certain point, yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's really sustainable to 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 maintain this level of isolation for for that long, just because because we're social animals, right? yeah, exactly, and it's like this yeah. this goes very much against our uh, our nature. Yeah, and so it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, because it's of course it's a whole shock, and uh, we have to be really happy that it that it wasn't an even worse uh, virus. Um, yeah, I know, man. but it's right. just it's just induced so much fear on us and it's so hard for people to step out of the that plagues and... are scary <laughs> plagues are scary it's like you know yeah. it's like looking into the bushes and you see tiger eyes and you're like that's scary yeah it's yeah. like no matter what culture you're from if you you know see a wolf you know that's like scary yeah it's but like you can't be this yeah, yeah, and exactly. that's and that's like what fucks up people so much, and and that's why I'm really curious in how this is going to affect the first time when I'm going to a festival again. You know when. So that's your that's your that's um. Let me introduce you. Uh, your your Timo Lejeune. So pronounce that right, Lejeune. Yeah, Lejeune. Yeah, yeah. That's all right. And um, you're you're half of a light artist duo uh, called Luminous. Yeah, Lewis. Right. 
Loomis. Yeah, you so guys, uh, yeah, that's that's what people get wrong a lot of times. So like our first artwork, big artwork was called Luminous, and we as a studio are called Loomis. <laughs> it's funny because this podcast is Luminous Arts. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> it's like in my mind. But um, yeah, you guys do really, really killer work. And like to me, especially um, the work that you do uh, merging lighting with music, it, yeah. that, that is that's like so next level and it's just so seamless the way that you guys do it. It's almost like, you're almost like a, like a band that the, where, where the, the lighting is an instrument. It reminds mm -hmm. me very much actually of, uh, of the guys over at play modes. Yeah. Um, uh, Santi and, uh, and those guys. Yeah. I don't know. Did in you know them? I, I, I knew them. And of course I, I saw their work uh what was it a year or two ago and i was inspired by it i have to say but yeah as i just told you i've been working with music for so long and um like the festivals the music festivals was such a, a driving force in in yeah going across this road of creating light art and music always was a part of it so uh creating this yeah this fused feeling of music and lighting was always a, uh, a challenge to me and i and when i went to festivals you know what i what i love most about festivals is the live experience and i and i hate it when you have these pre-programmed shows or where you yeah. just see like okay they push a button and of course it it looks all great and it's all perfectly synced but that's not why i go to a festival i do not go to a festival to see somebody press play it's the the improvisation and the spontaneity that that i think is really it's interesting in creating art sure it's a it, it's it's a shift in paradigm well, you know i used to work in concert touring on the lighting side and um you know the lighting and the video um it it was a very tightly choreographed uh dance that followed that was created to follow the music and then in, in a more spontaneous real-time sense, you get the VJing side, which is, which is much more of an improvisational dance. Um, but traditionally, it's still been two different people. You know, you have like a visual performer and the musicians. Yeah. And what you guys are doing is you're, you're, you're taking the, the synthesis of those two things and you're, you're, you're giving the, the lighting instrument and integrating that into the the musician's toolbox, which is yeah. it, it's a much more streamlined way to to create an experience because then there is like one cohesive performance happening. Yeah, and it and it also impacts the musician quite a lot. Like they really get inspired to make different musics, and they're also more. Um, they're more free to let the music breathe a little bit you know because the light just uh also takes a lot of power in every sound that they make so they they start to play a little bit more minimalistic and more free but sure the, 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 their toolbox affects the the art that they make yeah We've had a lot of conversations about that on this podcast how like the tools influence the art influences the tools yeah. it's a cycle yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, let me just shove up the webcam a little bit so you can see. Man, I wish we now. I wish we were recording this video. We can put that online too. 
Yeah, can can we do that in a way? Uh, nah, dude. This is this is only the eleventh episode of this podcast. I'm still yeah. trying to get all the, especially this remote thing. Like this to me feels actually very natural because I can see your face. Yeah, exactly. And in the past, when I've done these like remote things, it's like you're just talking into a microphone, staring at staring out a window or something. Yeah. And it, this is a much more natural way to have a conversation. But yeah, I, need, I really do need to start recording the the, the video. Yeah, well, this is the first time that I've done video and audio at the same time. Yeah, so. it's not essential, but if if we do it another time with video, I'll give you a um, a performance here with the music and the light. That's that's also one reasons why we created this studio is to really do more tests with this audio to uh, light, um, yeah, convergence or how should I call it? But if let's let's get back to that topic because i think it's really it's it's really interesting and one of the main things that we are trying to develop because have a zoom dance party yeah to have a zoom dance party <laughs> let's let like, everybody party. join yeah <laughs> no so uh, yeah but but also yeah also maybe towards okay so one of the things that i was thinking a lot about when graduating uh, it actually um has some same um things with this whole virtual dancing or virtual festival discussion it's like okay so i got questions from uh from uh um from this this venue and they wanted to integrate new technologies in their club venue and they were thinking about artificial or um, virtual reality and augmented reality and all, all stuff like that and i was really like no what we need is to make the experience that we feel right there in that moment that's what we need to enhance this feeling of relatedness this feeling of discovering new things new creative things and there's still feeling of connectedness that's that's what the that's like the secret sauce to any event right it's like that feeling of like uh yeah connectedness yeah connectedness to other people but also like i think music and performance yeah, yeah, but that that also lets you connect to other people directly or indirectly. Like when I'm, um, I think that also goes way back to uh, when we didn't have like clothing and cars and whatever to express ourselves, and people were making music. Uh, you know, when they had tribes thousands of years ago, people were making music, and people could either could either join this making of music and maybe dance to it, and that would be a really big self-expression for them in well, the tribe that's that's what the that's that's the the whole point of the festival is like is to get back to that place exactly you know, like a music festival especially it seems like you're really dialed into the the, the festival scene in yeah. europe and uh, on the west coast in california and, and the west coast of the united states there's a very strong festival scene and it's different music the europeans are very into the side trance i've, I've learned this but uh, yeah Different music, same vibe. Nah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's different. Like I'm, I'm really in the, yeah. How do you? I, I wouldn't say the techno scene, but it's like they do a lot of techno now. Italo disco and discoish stuff was really coming up, but now it's like electro and breakbeat. It's it's a lot of different stuff that's that's that they play around here, and it's really interesting. It's it's all like of course, influenced by Berlin and by London. And it's this whole big triangle of um, 
yeah cultural places that that influence each other and and here in the Netherlands. Tell you what, man. Next, Sorry? next year, let let's do a. Uh, we should do like a festival uh, work trade program or like a festival uh, like study abroad. Oh yeah. Come over to the West Coast and do some festivals, and I'll come over there. And uh, yeah, the festivals that you guys have done are super impressive. Um, I was looking through your portfolio. Toronto Light Festival. I've always wanted to go to that. Um, yeah. It's, what's it's, Into the Woods? Into the Woods is yeah. That's one of my favorites. Like um, Into the Woods is a pretty small festival it's two days twelve thousand people um but it's yeah dead center in the woods somewhere uh, in the middle of the netherlands and it's organized by like the the best crew that i've ever met is just all fun people honest people and they just want to uh give creativity to whoever works at their festival and uh helps to help them create and yeah, you just get total freedom and a lot of enthusiasm and that really that really reflects in the festival itself. So it's not real awesome. it's it's not real like you see a, a lot of festivals here in the Netherlands and they they really try hard to be something. Like yeah. Mantle, they really try hard to be like the ambassadors of the best music in the Netherlands. And then you have digital, they, which they want to be the best in the green and the sustainable, etc. And then you have uh, Draaimolen or whatever, and they want to be the best in uh, scenography. But uh, Into the Woods is really like, we don't want to be the best. We just want the people who create the festival, we want them to feel the best about what they're doing at our at our festival so i like festivals like that man because they're not pretentious you know there's no like um there's no pressure you know it's it's like a good group of people it's a good venue and it's uh it's it's a good experience yeah is it, is it camping into the woods um camp out? no i like uh yeah we do as a crew but uh they have uh they also have another festival it's called wildeburg uh now i think they have three editions the fourth, no, three or four editions, and the fourth or the fifth should be in a couple of months, but I don't think we will make that. Um, but that's their second festival, and that's a camping festival. So that's three days in a row, 24-7, let's go. And that's yeah. like, I'm, I'm fully sure that that's like one of the best festivals that the Netherlands have to offer because it's just crazy. Like everything around there is filled with art, and it just feels authentic you know it every detail just is right what's it called wildeburg it's like wild village <laughs> dude I'm, I'm coming next year right if, if they have it assuming they have it yeah like that's that's also one of the funny things they have i think this year they plan to have fifteen thousand visitors and they sell almost four as if yeah four times as much tickets or they don't actually mm -hmm. sell them but they have like this lottery and people uh, shoot and roll and then randomly people get chosen so like oh, well, I'm going 60... with you guys, so yeah yeah set. okay yeah that's that's the <laughs> course of possibility then you'll then you just join our crew <laughs> and we'll make a crazy station i'd like because that's like one and a half week two weeks of just yeah going crazy and we always do one light artwork and we do one stage and yeah, yeah it's just it's just amazing to work there and to be in the crowd and just... I like to work festivals, man. It's nice to have a sense of purpose. You know what I mean? To like, to have a mission. Yeah. You know, this would have been my 10th year at Burning Man. 
which got canceled this year. Yeah. Um, every year I've gone, I've, I've had some art project that I've worked on or, or something. It's nice, you know, because it's like you're you're there, but you're you're sharing your art. You're like building something with a group of people. You have a community. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. I like I like experiencing festivals in that way. Yeah, and and. I was always wondering because at Toronto Light Festival they have a lot of artists that um, come from Burning Man, if if I can say like that. They've 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 done art at Burning Man, and everybody mm-hmm. out there just loves Burning Man. Like when you go to Toronto Light Festival and everybody's just talking about Burning Man, and it's lovely because all of these people are really lovely. But then me as a European just it's just what what is this thing about burning man you know i know of course i know it and i know it has to be really awesome but i also think it's really different to what we usually do here in in europe or the netherlands it's just really different and i think it's a fun experiment like you come with me to wilderberry and i'll go to you to with you to whatever festival you think is cool in in america burning man burning man's not it's Burning Man's funny, man. It's like, it is a very cool festival. Um, it's also like, it's a mixed bag, like everything. But Burning Man is so big and it's it's so hyped that it's it's a real mixed bag, you know? Because yeah. you probably have in your mind your own assumptions about Burning Man, which are probably totally wrong. Like, you know, there's no way to, to Predict wrap your head around it. Uh-huh. Yeah, until you get there. But yeah. it's also like, you know, it's super annoying. And it's also the funnest festival ever. And it's also, you can feel super isolated sometimes, but it's, you know, you can be around your best. It's everything. Yeah. And it's hard to, but yeah. um, you can definitely come, definitely experience it. And uh, yeah, man, if you go, make sure you let me know because I'll, uh, yeah, come hang. Yeah. Do some pointers. Yeah. When we do, I will, um, I will hit you up. I don't know if it will be next year or the year after, but it should be one of those. Like, we've been hearing uh, hearing about this for so long, and we we just have to do it. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, the thing is, if you're like a relatively, if you're like a useful person and you are a talented person and and you make cool things, eventually you'll end up there. Somebody will give you a ticket. There, you know what I mean? It's like there's always a way to get to Burning Man. You just have to like somebody has to like bring you into their project yeah so whether whether you go as as loomis or you go as timo or you go as part of another project yeah you know what i mean like there's so many ways to get to burning man and to do it and not spend like a ton of money just by being a useful useful talented person Mm yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. um yeah i i think i think it will just yeah, I think it will turn out fine. But we we still have uh, our installation that we ex- expose at Toronto Light Festival. It's still in Toronto, and yeah. uh, we're making a plan for it. But um, I can see it happening that it just stays there in America until next year, and then maybe when it's around, we just take it to Burning Man and um, yeah, go together yeah. with some friends, go there, see. Well, yeah. listen, man, if you're if. You- yeah, so it's in it's installed permanently in Toronto. No, 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 it's, it's like, stored. It's it's just in a storage space. Oh, because yeah, tell me about that. So, so how did? It's a really beautiful sculpture. It almost looks like a like a three dimensional cross, right? And it's 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 covered in 
in lighting elements. Yeah. And is it projection or is it just LED? It's hard it's, to tell. From it's, the it's just it's just LED. Yeah, you should you should see a, a video, but um, it's it's like a, a convergence of a couple of things that we really like to do, and one of those is uh, tensegrity. So, uh, are you familiar with tensegrity? What it is? Yeah, yeah. Um, for people who are not looking at this picture, it's almost like a set of steel frame um, pillars that are yeah. interwoven with each other and suspended using wire rope so that it looks like these pillars are floating inside each other. Yeah, or exactly. So they're like rectangular cuboids, you call them. So it's like a, a, a cube, but then rectangular. And they, they stick inside each other uh, and at at every corner of the cuboid, they connect with each other through steel cables, and that's how they form uh, integrity. That's like, it's 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 similar to a tripod when you when you have a, a tensegrity construction. So, so tensegrity is a construction method where you have um, you have like uh, pillars or uh, um, compression elements and you have tension elements and the compression and the tension elements are balanced in a way so uh, the structure itself itself gets integrity um, yeah. so um, that's essentially it's what delicate and like it, it looks like I've seen installations that you, that use that principle that they're like very delicate but very it, they're like enormous and heavy but it looks like very precarious and it's all uh, about balance like this actually, it's this like con contrast between like massive you know bulkiness and and delicate balance yeah but the thing is like that's why i really like to use it because it's actually not that heavy um and 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 you and when for installation yeah exactly for for festivals it has a great potential because um, initially, tensegrity was invented as a method to make maximum aesthetic value with minimum materials. It's invented by Kenneth Snelson, and then later on, it was like pushed to the outside world by Buckminster Fuller. He was an American architect, inventor, whatever. Yeah. And um, so, what I when I read about it, and I saw like, okay, so maximum aesthetic value with the minimum use of material. That's essentially what you would like to have at festivals, for example, because you would right. like to transport stuff. And when you make it, you want it to look as beautiful as possible. Um, yeah. So that's why we made our first installation in 2016, which was a 30 meter long tensegrity installation. It was like tensegrity wise, that was incredibly complex. It had like... Which one is that? I'm looking at a... Luminous. moving light? No, luminous. luminous. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm looking at that now on your on your site, and uh, so that's also tensegrity. Yeah. This almost looks like, uh, you know, when you take a, a handful of jacks and you throw them on the floor, and it's, it's <laughs> just like, you know what I mean? It, it's like those uh, those like cross structures. Yeah, exactly. Is a, is a is a lit pillar, a lit pole. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I was looking at that. Uh, looks like you redeployed that in 2018. Yeah, we yeah, done, we've done a couple of uh, festivals with it. So it was originally made for Glow Festival here in the Netherlands. And then we went to uh, Lowlands with it, which is a larger festival. 
um and then into the woods and then actually when the first time we took luminous to into the woods that's a little bit where it took off for us um and yeah we connected to the guys of into the woods and from that point on we just yeah went to make other kinds of installations and do different stuff and and that tensegrity principle together with like fusing um, or really using the structural uh, elements also as a diffuser and as a reflector. So what you see at the installation in Toronto, for example, is every cuboid is made out of aluminium profiles and the uh, LED strips are really like tucked into the aluminium profiles. So the aluminium or the aluminum really reflects the light. So you don't really... It's, it it's almost like there's an infinity mirror at the, the end of each pillar. Yeah. To me, there, by looking at the pictures, that's what it looks like. Yeah, the, there is. It's it's like this double infinity mirror. So you can also watch through it. And that's a little bit the brain fuck with the infinity mirror thing. Because yes, yes it's an infinity mirror, but you can also look through it. Mm. Um, and yeah, so you just get like infinitely infinite. Because you look from one infinite infinity mirror to the other one at the other side of the um of the construction and you see this whole cuboid thing um yeah duplicating it's itself infinities. yeah oh it's like a, a lot of a lot of infinities within this within this installation but um usually like i'm not a really big fan of infinity mirrors it's like uh i, I recently they can be cool in the right I, I agree they're overused but they can be cool yeah. in the right the right application and i think that this is a this is an example of a very cool use of infinity mirrors. Yeah, thanks. That's that's good to hear because it's you have to be careful with that and not make it feel cheesy. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna ask you if this has to be a freestanding installation or can you hang it? it yeah, you can like hang it. it. You can. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Like that's, that's that's a shame that is sitting in a warehouse, man. A what? Huh? It's it's a shame that it's yeah. sitting sitting in storage. Yeah, if if you know anything, um, it's just sitting there, and we love to set it up somewhere else for short time, cool. longer time. Yeah, yeah, well, I was gonna say like so we um, our space here is called the Lumen Labs, and it's a it's like a light art gallery space, and it would be cool to display it at the labs for a little while and like have an event around it. You know what I mean? Like if you guys, I don't know how often you come to the States, but if you were in California, mm -hmm. you can install this at the labs. We've got very high ceilings and you could do a, a, like a mixed lighting audio performance yeah. underneath this thing. Be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Also to use it as a, like, actually that's one of the only installations that we have that work standalone so it's fully programmed on three teensies teensy 4.0s that are inside yeah. so usually we just use alpha tags and we just run SACN or uh, artnet or whatever from the computer to uh the alpha tag but this was like one of the only installations that we were like let's just make it standalone of course we can we can make a new controller box for it and have it yeah respond to whatever artnet sql will be sent to it but it will be cool to do that well there's something to be said for for both those things like i uh digital ambience has done used both those paradigms in our installations before 
Yeah. Uh, we work with a crew um, called uh, Platonic Bliss, and they have a system. It's basically, it's almost like a media server that runs on a microcontroller. And that media server, all it does is generate waveforms that run along a linear strips of LED, yeah. right? But you can deploy multiple of these, and then you can control those media servers with BMX. So, like, there's a handle for amplitude. There's a handle for Q. There's a handle for, um, you know, blending mode. And yeah, you can create cool. waveforms. Yeah, and uh, you can record those those shows yeah. and then play them back in a standalone way. But, you know, the real complexity for, in my mind, anyway, comes when you're, you know, when you're using, like, a like a lighting control environment, you know. We've used Madrix in the past. Now we use Smode. But, you know, Cinema 4D or whatever it is you're using to mm -hmm. do, like, complex mapping. That's really a PC thing. Yeah, complex mapping is a PC thing. Why why I chose TNZs for this particular installation? Because it uh, it has interaction. So you can touch the infinity panels and then the installation responds to it. So yeah. we, we almost certainly needed a computer in there. And yeah, yeah, when you have the Toronto or whatever environments, it's just a killer to have a computer in there. And oh, when yeah. you when you run it on TNZs, you can just receive the sensor data and just make a, a light image or uh, generate lighting data. And um, yeah, just in, in the same cycle. So you don't have to communicate to whatever device. So it's really direct. It's just immediate. And for yeah, interaction... It's, it's a really interesting, uh, it's a whole bag of worms. It's like a really interesting topic to get into with lighting because um, it's, it's, it's there and it's, it's like within reach. You can make things interactive, but I found it's really hard to make installations interactive in like a tasteful and compelling way and not like, like a, like a cheesy or, or like kitschy way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a lot of interactivity you see just doesn't, it doesn't translate yeah. um, and it's cool when you see people who or see installations where it really is done in a, in a tasteful way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like always this finding a balance between what's taste, what's tasteful and what do people understand? When is the feedback right? Because, right, exactly. because when people it. touch it and like this thing just emits red light or whatever, it just blinks red, like burp, 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 then you, then you get the right feedback, but then it's that ugly. And when you make it like when you touch it and then it suddenly starts to flow and everything. And yeah, then people don't get this immediate feedback and they don't understand what's happening or what they're doing. So if what we, complex, it can go over people's heads. And if it's too simple, yeah, I mean, it's a balance. Yeah. It's really what it comes to. Yeah. It's a balance of complexity and a balance of uh, aesthetics. Yeah, and, and one of the solutions that I, I'm exploring for myself is um, to have like different um, different stages of feedback or different parts that, uh, that give different kinds of feedback. So within this installation, we have the part where you actually touch it, which is a really small part of the panel. And that gives you direct feedback from, okay, so when you touch it, it just close red a little bit harder so that gives you this direct feedback and then everything around it starts to build up a little bit quicker and yeah. then the whole installation responds to it after a while so you have this ah, okay something is working and then ah, okay something more is happening and then ah, okay so this is what i'm doing 
and I, that's cool man so it builds over time and yeah that also keeps it from being too frenetic you know what i mean a lot of a lot of times you see uh it's it's very easy to make interactive installations too too flashy you know because it, it it's too like jerky almost i don't know how else to explain it but uh the motion the the interactivity is too uh it's too much and it's cool that in your your piece you you let it build yeah yeah still i don't think i i think it's still far from perfect and i think we can we can go yeah there's there's still a lot to learn when it comes to interactivity that was actually the the thing that i graduated with at industrial design yeah designing uh, interactive flight installations for festivals but um it's yeah i've done a couple of big interactive installations and all of them weren't like perfect and it's it's exactly well, like what is perfect yeah <laughs> it's true like any art is a, it's a it's a process right it exactly better. it's like i'm sure you'll be working on this thing for for years to come you know every time yeah. you play you'll like tweak it yeah exactly but but that's why i love it and i just keep on trying and keep on trying and uh the festivals love it too and the people at the festivals love it too because uh when you uh for example glow here in Eindhoven is is a festival and as much as they would like to have interactive parts a lot of it is is projection and projection can be really good but when everything is projection or almost everything is just okay we know the trick and then you go to the next project and then, okay, it's not a projection and you know the trick and people want to have a little bit of a, a switch in there. You know, you cannot do only well, that, projection or. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that projection mapping is a trick that it's, it's well known now. People understand it. It's not novel as it used to be, you know what yeah. I mean? And I think that um, having, having like a, a mixed, a mixed display of, sculptural art and light art and projection art those are the the ingredients that make a a successful arts festival yeah i i agree yeah and music obviously and music yeah so that's what we tried uh last edition of glow we did uh sync uh which um yeah was built on the syncing of sound or music and uh and light and the experiment that we were trying there is a how does the general public respond to this because there's like children and grandmas and, and grandpas walking around uh at glow and it was really fun to see how they would react to really this club vibe you know this club experience there's no, uh, there's no video of this on your website i was looking at it earlier and I there, video. there is a video on youtube of it and uh, we will share a video really soon on our Instagram and Facebook. I, we still didn't post it. It's pretty stupid, but whatever. Um, it looks like a really cool environment. It looks like you're using, uh, you've got a bunch of moving headlights, and then you've got a bunch of LED tiles essentially suspended from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, and that's your canvas, yeah? Yeah, we had, we had a lot of stuff hanging in there. So we had, I think, 72 of our... LED bars, two meter long double sided LED bars, twenty of the the LED panels. So they're double sided black acrylic panels, 
and we had uh, tubes, I think something like 30 LED tubes, uh, diffused tubes, six, uh, six moving heads, uh, blinders, whatever. It's just, it was just, it was awfully much and I would never do it like that again because it was just too much of everything and nothing was really um, speaking to um, the form that we needed for the, uh, for the, the audience. It was just a mixture of too much, but it was it was great to experiment with. And like one of the challenges was um, to create a system where uh, musicians, live artists, would come during the day, like three o'clock and in, in, in the afternoon, and they would set up their equipment, and I would just like plug in some XLRs or audio jacks in their uh, in their equipment have the audio signals or have some MIDI signals and um, and they would just play. And I would have to visualize all of this data that I would get in. And from there, I would have to make my synchronized show. So really. Oh, wow. So in real time, you were trying to, you were trying to connect the, had you heard it before? Was there any like rehearsal or were you just like on the fly? I'm gonna just yeah, it was on the fly. Like, of course I knew from some of the artists or most of the artists, I knew what they were making, but, and I asked them before, like, okay, so what kind of gear are you bringing? Just to make sure that I had the right cables and everything. But from when they were there, they were just playing. So there was this guy, for example, he brought this huge modular system. And then there was one guy who had this, really tiny crazy electron device i still don't know what it was exactly but it had like six outputs six audio outputs so i would just plug all six outputs of that device into my audio interface and just with that synthesizer we would just play for like two hours and we would get really powerful stuff out of it and that was the fun maybe that's why you you said it was too much right and it sounds like without rehearsal that would be a it would be really hard to to strike the right balance between um, too much, like too much stimulus, like lighting stimulus, too much going on on your canvas, and not enough. And it's like, it sounds like this was an amazing experiment, right? I mean, yeah. Because you were you were able to take this really complex canvas and then try and map audio to it in real time. But yeah. I can totally see how that could just get overwhelming and especially if it wasn't like a rehearsed yeah overwhelming and and underwhelming at the same time because i think it's better for uh because all of this all of the led elements are pretty outspoken in a way uh, as they're sculptural and uh, when you have a couple of elements that all try to be sculptural and outspoken in this context they are starting to fight with each other um yeah or you have to or you have to make a really good and nice design but we didn't really have the time or the materials or the flexibility to do that um but i think it's better to really focus on one element one main element make that big and diverse and whatever and then try to add uh like the soft beds and now usually we just add a couple of p5 uh wall washes so you have this just wall of color uh, feeling yeah, yeah. you got to do something it. to make the environment to tie the rest of the room into the performance yeah um, exactly that's interesting I, I like that you know making a, a single sculptural element be the focus of the performance and then uh 
and then subtle things that tie the room in. Exactly, because this all of all of the individual elements um, did work in the room, like they they reflected the architecture and the shape of the room, and they were in line with um, yeah with with yeah all of the different elements were in line with each other, but then in the end they weren't really working together uh, as we as we expected. But that's that's why we learned. Yeah, exactly. It was an experiment, and yeah. we just did it as a. Yeah, it was like for free. Essentially, we did it with with minimum uh, money, and uh, just because we wanted to see how Glow would respond to it, and and the audience of Glow, and and we got a lot of great responses. It it was funny to see. And that's so. Glow is is. A light art festival in the Netherlands. Yeah, in Eindhoven. Cool. And yeah, that's be- that. because we work like most of our work is in Amsterdam. Um, so that's that's always for everything that we do, we have to go to Amsterdam, almost everything. Um, sure. So we just want to do something here in Eindhoven, you know, because I can just roll out of my bed, walk five minutes. And start programming or start hanging lights or do whatever instead of like going to Amsterdam or crashing uh, crashing in Amsterdam uh, for weeks, which is fun. How far away are you from Amsterdam? Uh, one and a half hour, so it's fine. But that's not the end of the world. But now for yeah, you, I'm, for you know, guys, you're you're more more used to it here in the Netherlands. It's well, uh, like for us, it's like you know we go down to LA. Like that's the thing. It's like LA is about six and a half, seven hours away. Yeah, exactly. That's when I'm in Italy. Put in your headphones. You listen to six and a half podcasts, and you're there. Yeah, that's that's true. Now, but I usually I just go to Amsterdam almost every week, and um, we're also doing the lighting design for a club there. Uh, it's called Lofi. It's I think now now a year or something that that. That is going. That is active. And, and are you doing design for the lighting, or are you doing it from scratch? Um, so what what we what we did is we built some custom elements in the space. So they had mm-hmm. this, it was this old car garage, and they had this huge uh, Y pillars or columns in the middle. So we enclosed them with black acrylic and put all yeah a lot of LEDs in there, and that was like the main element and it's it's all you can all you can also find it on the website some pictures of how it looks so we took some led custom led ingredients in there and we just filled filled it up a little bit with uh yeah just normal led bars and some moving heads and some washes and blinders is, is just, this on mystery land that you're talking about is it no nah, lofi it's Lofi. when you when you go to category other or all it's like this red yeah, picture yeah. Yeah, it's titled Mysteryland on your website. Mysteryland? No. Lofi, like lo-fi. Huh. Yeah, yeah, no. Eh, whatever. Anyway, I can. Uh, I think I see a picture of it here. It's very cool. It's a very cool concept. Yeah, and that's and so that's like where we play a little bit with the performance because it it all of all of these systems they work on light jams. So also the. Uh, the sync, this interactive music uh, live experience, and Lofi, it all runs on live jams and sometimes a, a combination of live jams and ELM. 
Interesting. So is light jams like your weapon of choice? Is that your, your environment that you do most of your programming in? Yeah, like almost everything. Yeah, now that guy, he's from the Netherlands, right? No, What's no, he's from Montreal. Is he from Montreal? I thought he was from the Netherlands. It's weird. What's his name, though? Mathieu. Do you remember? I don't, I don't know his yeah, name, like... actually, but Mathieu, uh, Mathieu something. Yeah. But... uh. He was he was working with Entech for a little while, and that that's where ELM came from. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I, I've used ELM. It, it seems it's very it's analogous to to Madrix in a way. You know, um, my my problem with all of those systems is uh, well, it's not even a problem. It's just <laughs> they're not truly three dimensional environments. You know what I mean? Right now we're using a system that's it's basically a game engine almost, and yeah. you can just throw your point cloud of LEDs into it and then generate particle effects that run through them. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. That's, um, I, w I was also talking about that with another light artist, Bogus, that I work with a lot. And, um, yeah, it's because, because Mathieu is now also programming a 3d functionality for ELM, but that's essentially, you know, it's always the problem with, uh, 3d software is how do you generate or how do you make the content because when you yeah, do it well, with video then it it's gets two-dimensional by nature it's two-dimensional by nature so now within elm they solve it by making a layer for your front view and then your side view and then your top view like essentially you can just throw videos everywhere you want but it's the best practice to make a front view side view and top view and then you can have different modes in which they blend so yeah that, that's very interesting that is the that is the the problem that you have to figure out you have to like choose a, a paradigm or, or a set of paradigms yeah you know i, I like the i like the um, if you're going to use a 3d array if you're making a three-dimensional canvas you got to make three-dimensional content yeah you know i i, mean? I agree yeah. it's a particle effects or or a 3d model you know, or, or some kind of, yeah, yeah well, some kind of body trick. Bogus was talking about, for example, when you have a sheet and you can just apply magnets or you pull it or whatever, or you make it a little bit more, um, you, you make it loosen up and you, you have different indeed paradigms or, um, simulation mechanisms that you can use to create it. And I think it's when, when there's a software that can, efficiently simulate all kinds of different natural movements in a way so mm -hmm. for example when you have blobs or sheets of list uh, um, elastic uh, fibers or uh, particles or whatever and we can simulate those effectively with magnets and, and and gravity and just pushing and pulling and forces that would be that would be awesome yeah man you should look into smooth you really should. Yeah, it's it's got a decent physics engine. It's uh, it's pretty cool software, and it's free. You it's, can, uh, it's not for pixel mapping, but for uh, you know, it started out as a as a projection, projection mapping yeah. software, and we've kind of been working with the developers to to push it more into the direction of like LED pixel mapping. But yeah, um, yeah it's cool. It's almost like Cinema 4D crossed with After Effects crossed with a game engine with a pixel mapping engine <laughs> yeah it's, it's cool yeah but um 
like it's very French, and the guys who write it are very very French. French. So. <laughs> well, my surname is French, so and and oh, the, yeah, and luckily one of the guys who always uh, also works with us. He is also pretty good at speaking French, so we might have a have a good step ahead over there. But um, well, then you can watch tutorials, which gives you a, gives you a leg up <laughs> yeah. right off the bat. Timothy has to learn has to learn everything and tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty but, intuitive though. You start playing with it, you get to know it fairly quickly. Is it um, because, of course, you can also do it with Dutch Designer? But the problems that Touch I had, designer. yeah, or yeah. then Geo Geo uh, GeoPix, which is I've never used GeoPix, but that's based on Touch Designer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And my problem always with Dutch Designer has been performance. You just need a fucking big ass computer to make it work, and uh, yeah, I ne I never really got into it be because of that reason. I was always so quickly limited because my computer was just running overload, and that's one of the reasons why I love ELM and Light Gems, especially Light Gems. I mean, ELM is because it links with Light Gem in a pretty convenient way. Otherwise, it wasn't really my weapon of choice for what I do. It's not really so in that configuration. In that configuration, then Light Jams is producing the content. ELM is your mapping engine. Is that right? Yeah. So I use um, I use it in a, in three different ways. So uh, either I just use Light Jams as it is. So for example, I have some moving heads in Light Jams, some smaller LED fixtures, and some blinders. Uh, and then I have uh, a grid within Ligems that generates content for ELM because everything yeah. everything we do is sequenced based. So I made a like a it's essentially an advanced waveform generator that just generates waveforms on a sequenced uh, yeah as a sequencer and sends it with OSC. So you can code that inside Ligems. No, you can that, that's in processing. Effect. That's in processing. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's a lot of a lot of code. So that's that's one of the things that we use. That's actually like our main, um, yeah, our main content generator for Ligems and ELM. So I throw that data in Ligems, and that generates uh, all the effects. But then I make a big grid, um, which is just one hundred and twenty-seven universes of pixels mapped like just dimmers um yeah. in, a, in a square grid and then i just generate content on on that with light gems and it sends uh that artnet data to elm and then i can just see this little bit low resolution uh canvas that i just um generated and that's where i then mix it with different videos so it's it's really good to get some textures or to get pulses and stuff like that that respond to the music and then yeah. i just mix it with the video content of elm to get the right colors and the right movement and um it's it's an interesting mix so that's, that's a really cool that's a cool workflow man i'd love to to like watch you do a set sometime i love how like everybody's got a different workflow you know it's everybody's style is so different yeah that's and 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 I think the main difference or the biggest difference between doing lighting as we do it and doing lighting uh, with a Grand May or whatever is the sequencer because everything, if, if the sequencer 
crashes, essentially nothing works. And mm -hmm. that's why it's, um, it becomes, it, I can, I can make, um, little details within the, uh, if, if I hear a little detail in the music, I can just recreate it on the sequencer and, um, and yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, you really have to see it to know what it does, but essentially it's, it's not one sequencer, it's eight sequencers. So uh, there's eight sequencers. And your, your LFOs, your, 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 your sequencers are LFOs that are in, that are running out of processing. No, it's not, it's not LFOs. It's, um, so it's like a, a 16 or a 32 step sequencer. And then when it gets to a step, uh, it just pulses the OSC to from zero to 127, but I can also make a slope with it so I can make it a fade in and I can, uh, give it a decay and I can give it a release. Um, yeah, I see how that works in, in the videos. I can see in the, the the videos that you've published how that how that corresponds. That's cool. Yes, you you can um, you can really really quickly make the uh, the dynamics of the lighting correspond to the music. You know, when 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 a, when a kick just feels really direct and pushy, you just make mm -hmm. it. Um, just push the put the attack on zero, give it a little bit of release, and that's it. When it's more broad out, you just give it a little bit more attack, and you put a little bit more release on it, and it's just instant. You don't have to go into any programmers or whatever. It's just buttons, and yeah. Um, and yeah, that's you're just really quick. And when you hear a specific sound, like okay, now you have a double clap on every uh, whatever, and every eight notes, you have a double clap there. Then you just go to oh, okay, moving hats. Uh, that's group six. You go to group six, push in the double clap, and there you go. Wow, man! Yeah, I want to see that. That's that's such a cool workflow. Because that's sounds like such a cool system. Yeah, and and I'm I'm now making a a GUI interface for it, so a graphical user interface. Because that's um, when it comes to Grand Maze, uh, it's just touchscreens and a lot of uh, rows of buttons and, and faders. And um... well, there comes a point where if you're trying, if you're trying to make a tool, you know, you, you make the tool in a way that works for you, the creator, but to share that tool, you have to make it accessible. You know what I mean? And, and having a good GUI is, is, is the doorway for that. You know, a lot of the, the tools that we've used, have been developed specifically for individual projects that we work on. And um, only now we're experimenting with releasing those tools. And, and the biggest roadblock to that is the development of a GUI that, that makes intuitive sense, that still gives users access to the, the you know, the, the meat of the tool, mm -hmm. but it's, it's easy enough to accessible enough so that people can pick it up. Yeah, not nowadays GUIs are the um, yeah what you say the the meat of the tool. What, what were you saying? Like it's it's uh, a doorway. It's, it's a doorway it's, that allows people to have access to the tool. It's the core, but uh, a lot of companies also get lost in it. Like okay, so now uh, we can make a GUI that can do everything, and that's <laughs> that's what happened to Grand May. You know, they made a machine. They made a fourteen thousand euro machine that could literally do everything that you want 
Um, well, 14,000 is, is on the low end for a grand M.A. Or, or T. Or T. <laughs> oh, 40. Yeah. 40,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so, uh, and that's what I really love about the music industry is you have thousands of different devices that you can just, that are not really costly. So you can start really small and then you can just expand your setup to whatever you want to do with it. And I think and that you can mix and match. Yeah, you can, you can mix and match. Like you, like one complex system. you don't see, you don't ever see a musician be like, "Hey, I just take this keyboard and then I go on stage and then I can do everything that I want." No, they want to be, they want to make whatever they want to make. They want to make their sound in that specific moment. And, and with that's an example the, of how the toolkit affects the music that's produced. Exactly. And really it's like the music that's produced is is a direct result of the combination of tools that are used to produce it there's so many tools to make music that yeah it's a much more diverse ecosystem yeah and i think i think it's it's a better ecosystem because as as a company i think when you design control products you have to make a decision like okay what does this specific machine needs to do best uh, and of course it needs a level that people can set it up for themselves and they can make little changes in a menu or whatever, but you have to make a decision, decision, like what's this core, what's the core functionality of this piece. And then what's the core functionality of that piece. And as an ecosystem, how that, how, what kind of output can that generate? And, um, that's what I think is the biggest pity about, uh, lighting consoles It's because it's not like. Hey, can we combine that and that and that? It's like no, you either use this or you either use that. So proprietary. I tr- I try and stay away from those uh, those systems though. Man, I haven't used the lighting desk to do um, to to produce content for an installation in a very long time. Like not since I was touring have I used a Grand MA. And Grand MA is a great tool, but um, I like you definitely do not like being stuck in somebody's sandbox and i like cobbling together kits of tools specific to the the, the project i'm working on exactly yeah and uh, that's why i like the entech stuff or uh not entech the um advitech the the, the fix lights yeah because it's just a great tool that you can throw into whatever installation you're, you're working on and then you can use any any content generation system to to push content through it. it's 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 exactly what I was just saying. Like they just made a decision. Like what we want our products to do is when you push an artnet or when you push push in SACN, we just want to have a lot. We just want to control a lot of LEDs, and yeah. they they just pick their battle, you know. Because I know uh, there's a lot of other controllers that you can that you can buy, and some of them are way more expensive and. They can do maybe they can do different kinds of stuff. Like there's this company here in Eindhoven, and they're also developing their uh, uh, controllers. And they have, I think, it's a 16 universe controller, and it costs a thousand euros. Yeah, I know them. It's it's funny, man. It's like I, yeah, just give me a raw circuit board. I'll put it in whatever I want to put it Ex- in. You know, yeah, that only works for us because we're we're you know we're we're. Uh, we're nerds. Yeah, exactly. That works for us because I I love building the enclosures and I our our enclosures are like 
rock solid and we just push them everywhere water yeah water or wind or cold or doesn't really matter uh you know what i did you know what i did once i literally took one of the four output advertech boards yeah and i i potted it in epoxy I'm like really? an ice cube. <laughs> I'm like, great. Now this is an outdoor outdoor controller. <laughs> it works great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Now we judging by the lack of phone calls from the client, I'm assuming it still works. So where did you install it? Oh man, where did I get that? It's, it was uh, it's an outside installation, or yeah, it wasn't in a in a super cold area, but it was in a in an ocean side. Ah, yeah. You know, it was like output. It wasn't underwater, but it was like salt, you know, you get the salt water yeah. air, and it was just like, how are we gonna make this thing not degrade? It, you know, I mean, if it ever does die, we'll have to replace the entire thing. But it's like, whatever, you know. Just put it in epoxy and <laughs> yeah, pour epoxy resin over it. Yeah, if it works, just pour it in epoxy, and it will stay like that. Now, exactly. but frozen it in time. But uh, yeah, but to go back to the Advatech that's I, I visited them because um when I uh when I was done in Toronto with the light installation I went to Australia and it was funny because my sister she lives in Australia and she lives like twenty three minutes from the Advatech uh office. So I was like, okay, then I'll take a drive to Advatech. And I was sitting there with with Craig who introduced me to you. And yeah. uh, he he asked me like, so why do you like Advatech? And I was like, yeah, it's just cheap, and it just were or not cheap. That's the wrong word to say. That's great value. Oh, it is inexpensive. They it's, are inexpensive. It's a, yeah, it's inexpensive with great value, but they just fun. work, you know. And I never, yeah. one never broke down. And he was like, yeah, just if, that's what everybody says. Like, okay, they just work because uh, some we other. Found a firmware in their software you know that sorry we found a firmware bug really in uh in there. yeah man. what did it, it do was, it, it was pretty uh what was it it was when you output what was it okay um hopefully they're okay with me talking about this but whatever <laughs> it's uh when we when you would configure more than one output physical output on the device to, to output the same universe, like say you were sending universe one yeah. to outputs like one and six, yeah. uh, it would output to either of those two um, physical outputs almost randomly, and we couldn't figure out like what the hell was going. On. We had to we had to pull the whole thing apart and like take a scope to it, and uh, yeah, we figured it out. Anyway, yeah. it's like they are not infallible. But they are by far the most reliable LED controller that I've used. Yeah. And especially for the price. It's just like, hell yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I'm really curious. They, they are going to release some more um, um, like pre-made products, like ready-to-install well, products. To, they need to because most people are not us. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like most, most people, like if, if they want to get into the, you know, like the, the bigger market of, architectural lighting like no one's gonna put a circuit board in a no. you know what I mean? like, people want something in a box nobody's people going to take epoxy and... <laughs> yeah exactly that, that is not how like the majority of the you know the world thinks and that that's that's fine and i think that they're that's a smart move on their 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 end is to like try and become more client facing yeah yeah <laughs> you know I mean? 
Yeah, but then uh, yeah. then again, just just take the right decisions. But I think they're they are taking the right decisions, and they they will still like when their when their new board releases, they will still just sell the PCB. Uh, oh yeah, they will. I, I talked yeah. to Craig about that actually. I want to go visit them too. They're, that's it. It's a they're a very cool group of people. They're yeah, really, it's a cool, cool I haven't guys. met the Lukes, but uh, Greg was uh, was a really nice guy. So um, yeah, I'm I, I, sure. I ran into him at. Uh, at LDI and we like hung out, we hung out at that conference. You know, LDI, it's yeah. like the Live Design International. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. No, I, lo I love it. Hey, uh, give me one second. I'm going to go and I'm going to use the bathroom for like two seconds. I'm going to grab I'll... a beer then. Okay, cool. I'll meet you back here in five. Cheers, mate. <laughs> yeah, cheers, buddy, cheers. It's too early for a beer here, but yeah. I was like debating. I'm like, man, should I drink a beer? No, it's 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 two p.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, Sorry. it's, it's, it's Monday two p.m. If it were a it Friday, <laughs> man, who even knows? Who knows what day it is? This is uh, this is COVID nineteen time. It has no, uh, there are no days. <laughs> uh, crazy stuff. Like I've I've just been working like seven days in, in in a week like when i yeah when i'm in a flow it's really hard for me to break it and now you know because usually every weekend i was going out to whatever club or festival or whatever i was yeah. always away and now it's just like i i'm just at home all the time or over here and you uh, know, for, for the time being i actually i'm finding ways that I enjoy the flow that this whole crisis has like put me in. You know what I mean? There's way less social pressure. It's not like, Oh my God, who, who do I need to hang out with? Or like what's on the calendar or whatever. It's, it's a lot of focus on my, myself. And like, I've been like running and working out a lot and that feels great. And then, uh, yeah, it's just studio time. You yeah, know, it's like a lot of uninterrupted studio time, which is really nice. Yeah, that's it's 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 really nice, and I've done a lot of productive things now. And like I was saying, like I was pro programming the GUI, and that was something that I've been thinking about for a year now. And every time it's like, oh, I really have to start on that. I really have to start on that. But but you know, it's just going to take weeks. And um, I'm like when I'm not in a coding vibe. Uh, it's really hard for me to get something like get a lot of code done. It's not like it's I can take. Mindset, huh? Yeah, it's not like I can take a half an hour or an hour and do some genius coding and then go back to whatever I was doing. I have to take a whole day, and I have to take days on days and days, and then I just go until late in the night. And I love it because it's just one big puzzle and one big challenge. And yeah. I love coding, but you really have to get in that flow and yeah so tell me more about the software that you're creating so you use um you use light jams and you use elm and you use uh processing uh, processing yeah. is what is your software and what does it do and like what environment are you programming it in uh what environment you mean like are you are you programming in, in processing yeah yeah process oh, yeah. like what i know best is processing and arduino so yep. uh, some things that I'm programming and processing, I want to rewrite, uh, rewrite to Arduino because essentially a lot of the software that 
um, we use now for all of our live shows. So either it's just music festivals or all these um, uh, live performances, these uh, live audiovisual performances. Um, essentially, all of the processing code does a lot of MIDI talking. So they are the MIDI hub uh, that receives the MIDI, that controls the MIDI controller, uh, and that sends OSC values to LightGems or ELM or wherever I need it to go. Um, mm. And what's what's good about that is, for example, when you take a simple uh, launch pad, you can make tabs on it, you know, because you can store uh, like, oh, this is my moving head tab, and this is where I choose my effects, and this is where I choose my colors. So you can make multiple layers, just the same like a GUI, uh, but then on a tangible user interface. And yeah. um, and the same goes for the sequencer. Like, it's a simple launch pad, and it's a simple launch control, like the small launch controls. Um, but all of the intelligence of what this launch control does and what I put into it and what it outputs, it's it's all in processing. And you can just use simple simple and cheap MIDI controllers to do uh, really complex automated uh, stuff. So that's like the core of how we control everything. So that's- So is, this, is, it, a, is it a control protocol? Is it a, a tool to manipulate control protocol or is it specifically geared towards lighting or is it geared towards audio or a mix um so f usually for the music festivals it's really specifically geared towards lighting so yeah for example i have a color palette on my uh, uh launch pad so i can just choose whatever channel i want to change color and then i can pick a color and uh, then I can choose an effect or I can say, okay, this moving head is going to uh, set another prism or whatever. And then the right launch pad uh, is the sequencer, which I told about before is eight groups or eight signals. You're talking about the launch pad, the, the hardware controller, right? Yeah. 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 Just, okay. yeah, just, just a normal launch pad. Yeah. Um, so on the left, I have this, the sequencer and that, um, determines all the tempo based. So that's like, yeah, what tempo are we in? What BPM? Uh, how are the lights responding to it? And how are they dimming and everything on uh, on the rhythm? Uh, and then in the center, uh, I have the mixing panel, which is a launch control XL. So that's just for controlling intensity, controlling textures on the LEDs, controlling movement of the uh, moving heads and uh, and it also uh, I also program the record uh, like a recording function so I can press record I can change whatever to the whole setup and it doesn't do it's like a blind programming mode so it records everything that I'm doing and then I release it and then it just fires all of the OEC uh, values that I just created at once so you can make a little bit more of a climax, whatever kind of stuff. So that's the setup for the music festivals. And then for the uh, for these audiovisual shows, uh, the first time uh, it was primarily MIDI. So I took MIDI in processing and I visualized all of the, like I could record incoming MIDI data so I could filter out specific MIDI channels that I wanted to listen to then those MIDI channels and MIDI notes are visualized on the uh, iP or on the on the launch pad. And then I could route this. So I could say, ah, this MIDI 
uh, data looks interesting, I'm going to route that to that uh, lighting group and I'm going to add a little attack or add a little release or whatever. That's and, so cool. So you're, you're literally just, you're routing control data. Um, yeah. So like I, using that as an instrument. Yeah. I think the, the, the main challenge for me is to, uh, like you have all of this data, um, at hand, you know, every, every DJ or musician or whatever is creating a lot of data, either in their movements yeah. or the instruments or whatever. It's so, control data. It's data from the control surfaces. And what your system does is it translates, it allows you to take that control data and apply it to different instruments. Yeah, exactly. And the challenge is that is first visualize it. So first you have to pick whatever data you want to use, then you have to visualize it in a way so you can easily see, okay, where is the interesting data? Where, what do I hear right now in the music? And how does that correspond to the data that I'm seeing in front of me? And then you should be able to pick the data to tweak it in a way that it becomes usable for the lighting and then route it to whatever lighting effect you have programmed on before. Yeah, yeah. That's a very cool concept, man. When you do your GUI, I want to, I want a beta, I want a beta test. Yeah, I will, uh, it will, it will just be released on, uh, on the website. I will give you a, I will up you when, when the first, uh, is it's, that one isn't really spectacular. It's just like, uh, for color. Yeah. Just for color palettes and, and selecting effects and yeah, doing a lot of stuff with color essentially and, uh, some moving head stuff. So that's like, yeah, the heart of the system a little bit, just everything that you want to do. But I think the um, the uh, sequencer and this um, uh, audio uh, analyzing and visualizing thing, those are the more uh, the more special or the more unique uh, things within yeah. the setup. But that's that that sounds the most interesting to to me listening to you describe that that element of it because there's not a lot of, of software suites that that allow you to really play with and visualize control data in that way no you, like we want we want to make uh, control surfaces that you play with light as you play with music that's also what Loomis instruments stand for because it's Loomis is actually uh, yeah, luminous or lumen, lumens and ludus, which is the playing human. And then, of course, instruments as in instruments. So it's actually like playing with light with instruments. Yeah. And um, that's that's what I uh, that's what I focus on the most. And everything that that uh, I'm programming now, like especially all the software, because um, I can I can program, but it's not like my main uh quality so everything that i program i just want to release on the website i'm going to make some tutorial videos for people to also go ahead and use it uh, yeah. i want to do that for free and then hopefully yeah. somebody one day will say okay this is really awesome i'm just going to program it um the only thing so that, that i that can go into the, the you guys are making a product section for your website too i noticed that you guys are really pushing towards the product you know end of things you're trying to make products yeah 
products are the tools in making art uh in in our uh it's yeah it's with 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 the tools and with the product you can make the end result and um a lot of lighting products now aren't really focused on art uh and we try to focus a little bit more on what's the artistic side of how you want to uh, implement this fixture or this control system or whatever so it it safeguards it authenticity um so one one example for example uh, one one example of uh, how we do that is separating the part that emits light like the fixture itself and the part that drives it as much as possible we just when you have a light when you have a lighting fixture like all of the lighting fixtures are just leds in a structural element with a connector or not you know just just the connector and the leds and all of the the power supply and controllers and fuses and whatever just do not even bother to push that into a fixture just try to make the fixture as beautiful and as diverse and as modular as possible and all of the other electronics just push it somewhere else so are you selling your fixtures on your site? Are you trying to take some of these uh, these fixture designs that you've produced for some of the different installations you've worked on and uh, make them into products? Yeah, so that's that's one of our long-term, more long-term goals. Now I just put them on the website, A, for people as inspiration, so they see a little bit, okay, so this is what they make with all of these parts. Uh, People can contact us if they are interested in whatever. So uh, either we can sell it directly to them or we can make customized versions for them because that's, for example, what we did for a couple of artists here in the Netherlands. They were like, okay, we need this insulation with uh, pillars and we want to control it like this and that and that. And uh, then we were like, okay, that's similar to our installation like that. So we just overhauled it a little bit and and yeah made the technical product for them essentially it's funny man because that's a that's a problem that we've run into too it's funny how like we all have the same basic problems and we decide to solve them in different ways but um the the problem of you know how to how to to take our business and make it not only just a design service where it's just every single project is completely unique and different to having some kind of consistent recurring source of income, right? Yeah, we're we're starting to sell products, but um, the 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 products that we're going to start selling first are just custom custom LED strip, yeah. right? So basically, instead of um, trying to sell the fixtures themselves, it's um, just basically acting as a as a, a conduit to our manufacturers who we've been working with forever you know so mm-hmm. we have like a really good manufacturer in china yeah. and uh, we have a really good uh handle on the different options that you can have built into an led product right like chipset yeah um, color color temperature um, number of channels exactly you, know, you have to know all of that stuff and a lot of people have no clue on what they you know most people if they have any knowledge whatsoever about it they're like oh yeah ws 20 uh, 2812bs and yeah, there you right. go but there's so much more to it than just that chipset and yeah. indeed quality and how much copper is in the led strip and uh, 
you name it. And I personally love the the newer uh, the GS eighty two zero eight types. Yeah, we've been using those too, man. It's twelve volt. What's yeah. not to love? Yeah, they get hot. They they they, they <laughs> yeah. generate a lot. Yeah, but that's that's their trick because uh, the uh, the WS twenty eight fifteens they. Yeah, because they have built-in DC-DC converters or something, or in a way they, uh, you know, the, what a GS does is they split up, essentially split up the 12 volts and um, used four volts for each specific color. Um, yeah, it's, it's more efficient. And we've had really good luck. We've been using those with a lot of our newer installations. And uh, yeah. But again, you know, there's a, there's a big question in PWM rate, right? So it's like when you notice when you dim an LED down, you yeah. get into the low, more subtle um, range of uh, the 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 brightness spectrum. Yeah. The the problem is PWM rate, and GS eighty two oh eight is it essentially runs on the twenty eight twenty eight eleven protocol, which yeah. is fine. It has a higher PWM rate, but um, you know, we use the ninety eight twenty twos or APA one oh twos. You need a real high speed LED, yeah. but you're stuck at five volts. So really yeah. it's like this mix of characteristics and there is no one size fits all. It's like, what's your application? What are you trying to do with these LEDs? Yeah. And then what characteristics are most important, you know, and, yeah. and make your choices based on, on the needs of the, the, the project. Yeah. So basically our web store is going to be to try and make that selection process easier and yeah. hopefully having a web store geared towards people like us who are, you know, integrators essentially will give us a little bit more breathing room in making our installations. Cause yeah, making decisions. Easter family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's cool. Uh, so you're building that website right now or. Yeah, we are. But again, all we're doing is we're probably going to start out just selling led strip and making like an informational resource, you know, yeah. like an education resource on the different characteristics of, the chipsets and the different types of product and the characteristics of product that you can buy. And then what I'd like to do is use that same web store to direct people to like our favorite tools, right? Yeah, like exactly. So, like, all right, so our favorite processor is this, you know, in this circumstance. Yeah. So like direct people to the, the Advitech site for, yeah. uh, you know, processors, um, or if they're looking for something different, maybe, you know, pixel pusher in certain scenarios, but yeah. really explain the pros and cons of each. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we can cross link your site too, and just be like, you know, if you're looking for a truly um, integrated musical lighting instrument, these guys are creating a product that, that fits that need. Yeah. So it's almost so, like a community resource. Yeah. So do things like that's, that's, essentially what we wanted to do with our website too we're going to link advertech we're going to link light jams we're going to link elm and just say our experience with it and be very precise on if you use it for this and that application and if you use it in this and that way it's your weapon of choice you know because yeah, yeah, yeah. we we have we have a lot of experience with touring setups just music festivals and with audio to music or uh, music to lighting conversion and and ev shows so when people want to do something into that direction they should come to our website and just figure out what we use and 
I don't have any secrets in terms of what we use and I want every everyone to know how we do it. And um, yeah. that's smart, man. I think that you're really smart to do that. It's uh, I think proprietary, like the, the mindset that you have to be in to try and make everything proprietary. It's a very scarcity oriented mindset. Like you're, yeah. it's almost like paranoid. Like, oh, we can't let anybody play with anybody else's toys. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, if, the, if the thing is, if people if people want to do exactly the same that we do, first you have to give them a lot of time to figure everything out, and then they end up with exactly the same that we have. Well, what's the what's the new in that? Well, dude, I, the thing is, no one will be able to do exactly what you do, and yeah, and there's no, no one will be able to do exactly what we do. You know, exactly. because we are our own artists. You're your own artist. Like we each have our own styles. And nobody wants to copy somebody else. It's just like either you'll be like inspired in what somebody does, and then you, uh, then you go figure out something, and then you, you figure out for yourself what you want to do, and you make you make it your own. Uh, so I'm not really uh, I'm not really scared about just losing that authenticity or whatever. And and we are we are also still developing, but on the one one side note on the um, on the audio responsive part, one idea that I'm uh, I'm I'm also planning to work out in a couple of months because of course I have a lot of time now um, is to make uh, yeah to to make audio analysis system on the Teensy because now everything is working in Lie Jams or. Um, or um, uh, Max for Life, or not Max for Life, but just Max MSP, um, and I just want to get it out of the PC. I just, you know, and the the new Teensy 4.0s, they are so quick, and they have yeah. such a high clock speed. And I just want to, I don't know, make every just just make an input on every Teensy, so you can just that's one solid microcontroller just for processing the audio and send it to the place that you want it to go and then you should do it. you should make like a dedicated application exactly that you can drop onto a teensy that's yeah. uh i was telling my friend brian pinko he does he does uh he was the one i was telling you about who makes that basically that little media server mm -hmm. that drops into an arduino yeah. embedded programming there's really not a lot of people writing software specifically for embedded processors and in a in like a like a professional way, yeah. you know what I mean. Like I would buy a system like that to drop onto a Teensy to use. Yeah, and it's so cheap. You either yeah. you, you either sell the Teensy with the software on it, or you just I don't know. You could just sell the software for a couple of bucks, and people can buy the Teensy and do it for themselves. And yeah. you know they're they're so stable and they're so quick. Like the 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 Toronto insulation, they just ran for six weeks without no without any problem and it's just three little teensies in there you know it's yeah. it's 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 uh the brain is like 60 60 euros right and that's running what twelve thousand leds or something or more right no more and well in that case it's the right tool for the job because having a pc in there would just be a you know it'd be a liability you'd have you know, you'd have like this huge overhead with an operating system, software on top of that. You'd have to deal with, uh, 
you know, airflow and, and thermals, you'd have to deal with uh, weatherproofing and have like an expensive case to put it in. Yeah, and so, the yeah. interaction because you have to you have to send all of the interaction data to the PC and that will give you latency anyway. And yeah. now with yeah. Teensy, it, it runs on ninety frames per, frames per second. Like the four point are so incredibly quick, and mm-hmm. um, so it's it's really smooth and it's really cheap. And yeah, there was it was a no brainer to do that. That's cool. Man, we're gonna have to visit each other next time I'm in Europe. I'm gonna try and try and come by the Netherlands. Yeah, you and, you did uh, projects over here. Um, yeah, I do projects occasionally in Europe, but I'm in Europe a lot for just various reasons. I've got a lot of friends in uh, Barcelona, so I'm over there a lot. Um, yeah, I just tend to be in Europe a few times a year, and I usually spend a couple months of my year in Europe. Just yeah, yeah. When you when you when you come here, we go we go just clubbing or festivals or whatever. I think clubbing yeah. is really cool. Clubbing, I I think clubbing here in in uh, Europe is can be really unique. Yeah, I haven't done a lot of clubbing in Europe. I've done some festivals, but I haven't done like a lot of not a lot of uh, interesting clubbing. Yeah, put it that way. I'll t- I'll take you to interesting clubbing then <laughs> in Amsterdam. Cool. Yeah. yeah, dude, I gotta jump off the phone pretty quick because um, I got a, another work call that I gotta go go and no do. Worries. But uh, this has been a great conversation, man. I'm it's really glad call. that we, uh, yeah. And that let's do it. it again for sure. We can always do another one. Yeah. And um, basically, I'm gonna edit this down, and I'll let you listen to it, and then uh, I'll probably need some uh, like some more information to put on on the the page for the podcast so people can like you know, find your website. I want to make sure people have, you know, have all the ways to get in touch with you and like find your, your work if possible. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, curious how it's going to sound, but um, yeah, it'll, sound, think, it'll think... sound better than most of the ones I've done. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, now it was a good talk and yeah, we'll keep in touch and hopefully this just runs over quickly and um, we'll see each other in America or Europe or wherever. Yeah, I think we will. I yeah. think we will. All right, brother. I will well, talk to you soon. Thank you. And uh, yep. have a good one. <laughs> yeah, you too, man. Have a good night. Cheers. You too.